Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The O Show podcast is powered by Pinecast. It's also brought to you by Belly Up Sports. Be bold, stand out. The O Show podcast is also brought to you by TickPick. No hidden fees, an online marketplace for events. Tickets based in New York City that allows users to bid on tickets. Go to TickPick to get your tickets now. cooler to hear that music if they didn't just lose two out of three to the 2018 worst team in baseball. Welcome back to the O Show podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. Be bold, stand out. I am your host, Jack O'Hara. Episode 54, we do a Yankees series recap opening weekend against the Baltimore Orioles. And like I just said, as many of you Yankee fans saw, the Yankees lost two out of three to one of the worst teams in baseball. No joke. They left uh, the entire New York State population on base. I don't know what the total number was today, especially. They left the bases loaded on this uh, Sunday afternoon game at least three times in the game, if not more. I remember in uh, the bottom of the third inning, the runners on base. The fourth, they came through Aaron Judge with the two-run single after Brett Gardner worked the bases loaded walk, a great at-bat from Gardy. Uh, they left bases loaded again, Luke Voigt in the bottom of the seventh or eighth inning, and it was just uh, too many runners left on base these last two days. Came out firing on opening day, uh, 7-2 win. Voigt hits the three-run bomb, bartender Jack. Greg Bird, 0 for 3 with three strikeouts in his first at-bat. Heads to the bar, picks up a jack. Two home runs for the Yankees on opening day. Masahiro Tanaka, brilliant in his first start. First win, he's 1-0, 5 and 2 thirds innings pitched. Gave up six hits, only one earned run while picking up five Ks. Adam Ottavino came in relief, was absolutely filthy. Picked up three strikeouts. I mean, his two-seamer moves more than his slider does. And then you had Zach Britton, Zach spelled Z-A-C-K now. Whatever. One inning of work, one hit, only walked one. And then Chapman came in in the ninth just for some work, up seven to two. One inning, gave up one hit, picked up one strikeout. So great all around performance on opening day. Yankees put themselves in position to win the entire day. They got runners on base, they drove them in. 
And in these last two games, Saturday and Sunday, they got runners on base, but they just could not come up with the big hit. They were continuously in the game in both those games, uh, coming down to the final batter. It was 7-5 loss tonight with two runners on. 5-3 loss on Saturday with a runner on base, brought the tying run to the plate. Just couldn't cash in on the big hit. So opening day, Judge 2-for-3, drives in – or. Comes around twice. Stanton picks up a hit, gets on base three times. Voight, like I said, four RBI day. Picked up another RBI on Saturday. It's kind of a big weekend for him, even though he did not come up in two situations today on Sunday. In a two bases loaded situation, struck out in the third, and then ended up grounding out to short in the bottom of the eighth inning with the bases loaded. Um, and as I'm looking at the box score right now for opening day, everybody in that lineup got a hit except for Brett Gardner. Gardner uh, went 0 for his first 11. Not really a great start for Brett Gardner. Picked up a hit today. Um, and again, Brett Gardner signed that one-year deal worth $7.5 this year. Most likely going to be his last year. I know a lot of people want him to be a Yankee for his entire career. It's not looking that way because Brett Gardner, quite frankly, isn't going to have a spot on this team when Hicks gets back. He's, he's definitely the fourth outfielder, but then you got guys like Clint Frazier who's going to want a shot. He's going to have to earn his shot. But Clint Frazier, he's proved that he's a decent enough player that he's going to get his shot over the summer, and Brett Gardner's going to be limited to who knows how much playing time, especially when he goes 1-for-13 in the first three games of the season. But but everything went well on opening day. I mean, there was really nothing that went wrong. 7-2 win. Uh, beautiful day, March 28th. It was like 55 degrees. Can't complain there. Mariano Rivera, first ever unanimous Hall of Famer, throwing out the first pitch, a perfect cutter to Gary Sanchez. You could still do it today if you wanted to, and I'm sure they'd love to have him back. I'd love to have him back. I mean, it was literally like the like textbook Mo, just right, right on the corner, perfect cutter to Gary Sanchez. Even Gary Sanchez was like, holy shit, that really just happened? So... Uh, game time comes a easy one, two, three, or an easy first inning nonetheless for Masahiro Tanaka. And then, of course, the big bats, Judge and Stan with back-to-back singles, rifles into right field, setting up the huge Luke Voigt three-run jack. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of that on this podcast if you tune in, and if you tune in on our Instagram and Twitter page, bartender jack. Maybe we can make t-shirts over the course of the year. Who knows? Only if you buy them. May have to throw that in with the uh, tick pick giveaways. But here, here was the call on Luke Voigt's uh, three-run blast, and it, it is refreshing to hear this voice once again here on Yes. Mullins back, still back, turning, looking, see ya! A three-run home run for Voigt! Yankees on the board! They're up 3 nothing. Now, that was not the call I was concerned with. That, that was another textbook Michael K. home run call. We've heard it for the past, well, at least me, like 10 years for most of you, maybe 20, 20 plus years. That was not the call I was concerned with. This was the call I was concerned with going in. John Sterling, uh, I know he, last year he, he, it was uh, Voight's Adroit, which really took me some time to figure out. I had to look that up on Google. But this year he changed it up. Now now it's Voight hits one to Detroit, even um, even though it landed in Monument Park. Here, here's the uh, John Sterling version of this home run call. Detroit. He is a three-run blast at dead center, and the Yankees take a three-nothing lead. 
You know, I'm going to miss him when he's gone. A lot of people rip him for being a terrible broadcaster. I mean, he is the perfect gimmick for Yankees radio broadcast. Like, I'm going to miss John Sterling when he's gone. Michael Kay, Paul O'Neill, David Cohn, brilliant on, on air. Um, John Sterling and Susan Waldman, I'm going to miss that when they're gone because it's coming sooner rather than later. Uh, that call, I don't even know what the hell he said. Was it uh, the cool Luke fills the void? I heard Voight uh, to Detroit. That, that's, I mean, that's probably something I'd come up with just because it rhymes. Um, but John Sterling, it, I'm going to miss him when, when he's gone. He still probably, to be honest, has another five years left in him. Who knows? He's 80 years old. So um, John Sterling, though, historically good broadcaster. I mean, well, historically nonetheless. Um, I mean, he's had a lot of good uh, – <laughs> I don't know – what anybody else thinks, but he's had a lot of uh, legendary calls over the years, like home run calls, that is, like his vintage player home run calls. Nobody else really has that. I mean, there's been a few select players I remember, like, and his name is Dan Ugla. Is it stage left? His name is Dan Ugla. I mean, I remember hearing that on SportsCenter every time the dude hit a goddamn home run. It was just like, and his name is Dan Ugly. Everybody in the booth just went crazy. But John Sterling, a lot of great calls over the year. Of course, there was an A-bomb from A-Rod. From A-Rod. An A-bomb. From A-Rod. I mean, there were some that made you cringe. I mean, most of them make you cringe, but that's the fun part. But there were some that made you cringe that were like, oh, that's just bad. Here's a few of them. I remember uh, Nick Swisher's. I mean... <laughs> See, funny, but not too bad. Here is the most cringeworthy home run call I think he ever created, and I think he knows that he just couldn't come up with anything else. That was Brian McCann's home run call. <laughs> Could you imagine going back and looking at that if you're Brian McCann and your wife and your kids? Oh, McCann can. Yes, McCann can. I mean, <laughs> it's... <laughs> what the hell is that even from? I actually wrote down a few of those back in the day, back in like 2014, 2015, just to see what it was, to predict what it was going to be. Because that was a big year when they signed Brian McCann, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, which was a huge signing at the time, turned out to be the worst signing in the history of professional sports. And then they got uh, Tanaka that year. They signed Tanaka to that seven-year deal. And then they got Carlos Beltran, who actually turned out to be a pretty good player. And obviously, he was already a Hall of Fame player before he came to the Yankees. But he had a few good years in the Yankees before they traded him a part of that uh, selling trade deadline in 2016. But here are a few calls I uh, I predicted for Brian McCann. So um, just simulate like simulate hitting a baseball here, and I'll be Sterling. All right, here we go. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Two-run home run for Brian McCann. It's a Big Mac attack, and I'm loving it. And that, that was always the first one I'd come up with because I'd probably eat, like, three Big Macs a day. I was probably, like, 130 pounds. I'd eat, like, three Big Macs a day. We had a uh, McDonald's right by, right by our school. So that was the first one, Big Mac attack, and I'm loving it. I, I thought that one was pretty good. All right, so here's the second one. Crack of the bat. Let's Let's go. 
It is high. It is far. It is gone. A two-run home run for Brian McCann. It's headed north of the border to McCanada. And the Yankees take a 2-0 lead. See, they have to be corny, though. All right? They have to be corny calls. They're all corny calls. That's what makes them good. You think Robbie Cano, don't you know, is an awesome home run call? No, I laughed the first time I heard it. But now looking back on it, it's pretty catchy. So here's the third one I made. This is my personal favorite. The last one that I wrote down uh, described Brian McCann in the perfect way in the three years that he was in a Yankee uniform. So here we go. Crack the bat. The 2-2 pitch. That one's hit in the air to deep left. It is high. It is far. It is a dribbler down the third baseline. That's all he did during his three years in the Bronx. He hit under 250. Three years. I remember going to the last game of the 2016 season. So it was Mark Deshera's last game ever. So he retired in 2016. It was the year A-Rod retired two months earlier. Uh, Teixeira retires at the, at the end of the year. So Teixeira... Gets his send-off, and the Yankees aren't in the playoffs, so this is their last game. It was against the Orioles um, October like October 1st, 2016. And they went through the entire 25-man roster saying, like, thank you, Yankee fan. It was like Fan Appreciation Day or whatever. And they were saying their appreciation, like, thank you, Yankee fans. We'll see you in 2017. Mark Chair, thank you, Yankee fans, for the... Best 10 years of my life. Thank you. Thank you all. But then they'd have like Starling Castro. We'll see you in 2017. Ronald Torres. We'll see you in 2017. Nick frickin' Rumbelow. We'll see you in 2017. And then poor Brian McCann came because, you know, he was in trade rumors for a long time. And like you knew that there was a chance that they probably were going to try and trade him in the offseason. So come his turn, it was just like, thank you, Yankee fans, and uh, go Yanks. So. That would have been that was Brian McCann's final game. Ended, ended up winning the World Series with the Astros a year later. A huge two-run double in Game Seven against the Yankees. Heartbreaking Game Seven. I don't really want to talk about it. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the next segment on this show. It's called Story Time here on the O Show Podcast. So it was, uh, what year was this? So it was May, May 6th, May 6th, 2009. And I'm pretty certain about that. I didn't, I wasn't certain about it at first, but I'm pretty certain about this. It was like one of my first Yankee games ever or three years in. So maybe like my ninth or 10th, second at the new stadium, Yankees raise to Yankee podcast, Yankee recap podcast. So we're going to talk about the Yankees. Uh, back then, I was like eight, nine years old, fourth grader, looking for autographs, looking for batting practice balls, you know. I've, at that point, I don't think I've ever gotten one. So this was the first day I ever caught a batting practice ball. So it was 
pretty exciting. Uh, you know, just like a lazy, like, gapper batting practice ball. I think it was like Jose Veras. If anybody remembers who the hell that is, Jose Veras, right-handed relief pitcher, tosses me the ball. My day's made. But that quickly changed because after like 10 minutes of showing it off to my brother and sister, I was like, ah, fuck it. I want more, you know? And (laughs) I wanted an autograph at this point. And granted, I did get an autograph from a much better player later on during batting practice. But the closest guy right there shagging flies was a guy by the name of Alfredo Aceves, a guy that was a key part of that twenty nine or that two thousand nine championship team. Great reliever, was a starter. I think he went like ten and one that year as as like the fifth starter. I remember him and like Sergio Mitre kind of platooned there for a little bit over the summer. Ten and one overall in relief and as a starter. Alfredo Aceves basically just gave me the cold shoulder for about thirty minutes. I'm like, I'm, I'm screaming as like a as a fourth grader, just going. Uh, Alfredo, Alfredo, Mr. Aceves, Mr. Aceves. And after like 20 minutes or so of just ignoring me, he was like doing laps in the outfield. He's like, uh, four more laps, kid, and I'll come over and sign your ball. So I'm getting excited. Uh, so he does his four laps in the, across the warning track. Left side, right side, left side, right side, left side, right side, left side, right side, and immediately turns. He looks at me, looks me in my eyes, immediately turns and goes back in the dugout. So he was a bastard for that. Uh, I end up getting his autograph, though, three games later, three three Yankee games my time later, later in the year, I get his autograph on, like, the shittiest um, Little League baseball you could ever find. It was beat up. It was basically in my backyard for probably three years in the woods, all beat up, chewed up by a dog, uh, went through many rainstorms, many snowstorms, shittiest waterlogged brown-looking baseball that you could ever find, signed by Alfredo Aceves and Jeremy Guthrie. Um, But that day, May 6, 2009, against the Rays, Jose Veras gives me the baseball, and I get it signed by Scott Casimir, who at the time was the ace for the Rays. So a very good autograph. It's in pink Sharpie, so not that great. It wasn't even on the sweet spot, but still definitely have that baseball hidden in my room somewhere. Uh, That was this segment of Storytime. So we recapped opening day before I gave John Sterling a hard time. Uh, game two, still big expectations. Really excited for the game. Game two, uh, one of our listeners got a chance to go to the game. Johnny Kiska, hope he enjoyed the game because I didn't because the Yankees left like a thousand runners on base and lost the game five to three to the one of the worst teams in baseball. They basically bullpened the entire game. Nate Carnes got the start for the Orioles, pitched two innings, like, through 55 pitches. James Paxton was awesome. I had no idea what to expect going in with James Paxton. Hasn't thrown over 160 innings pitched in any year of his career. Has had freak injuries almost every year. He threw that no-hitter last year in Toronto, which is, like, his like crowning achievement. That and the eagle landing on him in Minnesota. Uh, but James Paxton was brilliant. Um, you couldn't ask for a better start. And he got the loss. He's 0-1. Through five and two-thirds innings, allowed uh, just a couple hits, one run, five strikeouts. I mean, you couldn't ask for more <laughs> in his first start in the Bronx. I mean, it is the Orioles, but then again, they beat us two out of three. 
James Paxton, great start, gets the loss because the bats couldn't get anything going after an awesome 7-2 win that basically went perfect. Nothing really went wrong in that game. Yankees bats, again, leaving runners on base. They had so many opportunities, couldn't cash in. And the Orioles basically handing it to us in the bottom of the ninth inning. I, I legitimately thought, like, holy crap. Like, here we, like, you always know the Yankees are never out of a game when they're, like, at least within four or five runs. Okay, but in this bottom of the ninth inning, the Orioles couldn't throw a strike. Uh, that final play, the Luke Voigt blooper should have been caught by the right fielder. was coming in out, was leaning way too much. Should have gotten underneath the ball. Doesn't. Hits off the bottom of his glove. Um, allows a run to score. 5-3, as, and then they brought the tying run to the plate. Or maybe Andahar was the go-ahead run at the plate. Ends up striking out to end the game. Uh, but the Orioles won that game by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. There's no doubt about that. And then basically at the end of the game, after Paxton starts. So Paxton, five and two-thirds. Gives up one run. Strikes out five. Has a one five nine ERA to start the season. Great. 0-1. Um, didn't get the run support. Great start. Love to see it. That's what you want to see all season. Hopefully he stays healthy. Um, but here's here's the kicker in this one, folks. Aaron Judge has a post-game press conference and basically says that the Yankees' backs are against the wall heading into Game 3 of this series against the Orioles. Need I remind you that this is game three, not game three of the ALCS, not game three of the ALDS. This is game three of the 2019 season on March 31st. It's not even April yet. And Aaron Judge has the mentality of going into this game saying that their backs are against the wall and they have to win this game, which shows the type of leadership that Aaron Judge possesses in that Yankee locker room and on that field. Uh, I, I'd be one to say that, um, after Derek Jeter, I didn't expect anybody else to like take charge the way he did. Aaron Judge is exemplifying that leadership right off the bat. I believe so Jeter retires in 2014. He had 2015, 2016, 2017, Aaron Judge takes over the team. So Aaron Judge essentially after two years of Two years removed from arguably one of the greatest Yankees of all time retiring, Aaron Judge immediately comes in, steps in, becomes that franchise player, one of the most popular players in the game of baseball. He led jersey sales on opening day for two years in a row. I think Bryce Harper took it this year with the Phillies. But Aaron Judge has exemplified that leadership that I didn't think we'd see in a long time. And I'm going as far as to say maybe in six or seven years down the line, if Judge has a few rings under his belt, he could be named the next captain. Who knows, though? But Aaron Judge as the Yankees captain is not far-fetched as far as I'm concerned. I'd like to see what other people think about that. Uh, you could check uh, Brian Hoke's uh, article from MLB.com, Osho alumnus. Uh, on James Paxton, he had a lot of great content to say about James Paxton and his first start. But Aaron Judge as the captain of the New York Yankees is not far-fetched in my mind by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying name him anytime soon. Like I, like I said, six, seven years down the road when he's got a decade of Yankee experience under his belt and hopefully a few World Series because this team has the potential to be the next dynasty if they get their heads out of their asses and be that team. Like, you lose two out of three to the Orioles. I know it's the first three games of the season. That's, that's, that's not good. You know, that's not the start you want. That You want to get off on the right foot. Losing two out of three to a team that's going to lose 45 games, 
or is going to win 45 games at most this season. I think they won 47 last year. I mean, the Orioles went, are going into this season with no expectations. They're just seeing what they got. They got basically new philosophy. They didn't – Buck Showalter, uh, Dan Duquette, they, they, didn't, um, they didn't embrace analytics whatsoever like most teams did. The Red Sox embraced it, though they had a little bit of that old-school touch in there with Alex Cora. They win the World Series. Aaron Boone is there because he's Mr. Analytics. Um, the Yankees are full-blown analytics. The Orioles did not embrace it at all with Buck Showalter, and they lost over 105 games. So the Orioles have a lot of work to do, and they come in the first three games of the year and take two out of three from the Yankees after the Yankees showed all the momentum after game one with that 7-2 win. So it, the Yankees have to bounce back in this series against the Tigers. Another team that has no expectations is going to lose a lot of games in the AL Central this year. Every team in that AL Central is going to lose a lot of games except for maybe the Twins and obviously the Indians. Probably going to win that division again. But a big series again for the Yankees. The Yankees at least have to win two out of three here. I mean, I'm not expecting a sweep. I'd like to see one. If I were to guess after that first game of the season, I would say that I'd be confident enough to say that the Yankees would start the season at least uh, 6-0 against the Orioles and Tigers. And then they got the Orioles again in Camden Yards next weekend. So the schedule is in their favor. They got to they gotta beat these teams. The Red Sox won the World Series last year. They went 32-5 in 37 games against last place opponents, including the Orioles, including the Royals. The Rangers and I think the Marlins they played last year. The Yankees played those four teams. They went 23 and 14. Not terrible, but not great. You see it in the Red Sox only losing five games to last place teams last year. That's why they won 108 games and ran away with the division. That's a nine game difference there between the Yankees and the Red Sox in last place uh, team wins. And the Red Sox won the division by eight games. So that goes to show that you have to win these games against these terrible teams. If the Yankees won those games that the Red Sox won last year, they would have won the division. Plain and simple. But they didn't. Red Sox end up, I mean, who knows what would have happened in the ALDS. They're still playing each other. Regardless, Red Sox probably demolished the A's, uh, given how they bullpen that wild card game. But the Yankees win the division if they win those games. Yankees did not they played lackluster against last place teams the Marlins the Rangers the Royals and the Orioles plain and simple so judge goes out of his way and says their backs are against the wall they have to win this game Aaron uh, Boone had a press conference saying that we are here to put our opponents down like last year he was saying we could afford to lose some games like we're not here we're, we don't we're, we don't have the mentality to um Go out there and win every day. I mean, it's a long season, 162 games. Uh, his exact words were, uh, we're not necessarily going to be chasing wins every day. That's what he said. That was the mindset last year. So he said in this press conference here uh, yesterday, we're coming here to beat you down. That's our mindset, our expectation. That's how it should be. I remember when Joe Girardi was there. That, that was Joe Girardi, when things were going wrong, like, you tell the media just like, yeah, that's not what you like to see, you know? That's, that's not what you want to hear. Um, or that's not what you want, you know? But, like, he, he beat down on his players. Aaron Boone is not here to do that. Aaron Boone is player-friendly. Joe Girardi, uh, to some people, was. Most people was not. I know him and Gary Sanchez, I don't think, got along very well. Uh, Booney and Gary get along very well, from what I hear. Um, but 
this is this is good. This is what you want to see. So we're coming down. We're coming here to beat you down. That's our mindset and expectation. That's what Brian Hoke reported. So going into this game, you're like, holy crap! Here we go. They're gonna murder. They're gonna onslaught the Orioles. Right. We're coming here to beat you down. Our backs are against the wall. We have to win this game. And you immediately go down three to nothing against the Baltimore Orioles. J.A. Happ gives up a three-run home run, gives up another home run to Trey Mancini in the third inning. Just like that, you're down four-nothing before you can even say, like, holy crap, like, was that just a bunch of bullshit? Like, are we gonna are we gonna at least try and come back and win this game? Left the bases loaded twice. That fourth inning, like I mentioned earlier, Aaron Judge comes up big two-run single after Guardy's terrific, and I'm, I mean it, terrific, like 12 pitch at bat to work the bases loaded walk. But then you, again, leave the bases loaded in the sixth inning, and then again in the eighth inning, Luke Voigt struck out in the third inning with the bases loaded, strikes out again in the bottom of the eighth inning, or grounds out to short in the bottom of the eighth inning, excuse me, with the bases loaded. They, le- they left so many runners on base, so many opportunities against a team who's bullpenning their entire season. Uh, I just don't understand how you could lose that series to a team that's going to win 45 games. And at the end of the year, this series isn't going to matter. You saw it in 98. Yankees started 1-4, and four, went on the West Coast, had a huge team meeting with Joe Torre, end up being the best team in baseball record-wise. 114 wins, go on and win the World Series, no problem. In 2009, they lost the first two games to the Orioles, who were going to be another last-place team in the AL East. I think they lost the first two. They went 0-2 in Camden Yards. They came back and won the third game, swept in uh, Kansas City, got back on track after that. But they lost the first two games there. The Red Sox just lost three out of four at um, T-Mobile Park. Don't call it Safeco Field. T-Mobile Park, uh, the former Safeco Field, they lost in a huge way. I mean, they gave up like 1,000 home runs this weekend. Uh, they lose three out of four. They're one in three to start the season. Orioles and the Mariners, arguably the two worst teams in the American League, if we're being honest. Orioles are going to win 45. Mariners are going to win probably around like 60, 65 games. They cleaned house. They don't have anybody left. They have Jay Bruce. They have Edwin Encarnacion. Those two poor guys left going to be fighting for nothing this year. They're not going to be in the pennant race. So these games, though upsetting, I mean, it's called opening weekend. It should be called overreaction weekend um, because you can't really attest to what the season's going to hold within the first few days. I know it's a pretty crappy way to start your season against, again, two of the worst teams, if not the two worst teams in the American League, if not the entire MLB, for that matter. NLYs are the Marlins, obviously, but the Marlins won 65 games last year. They weren't historically bad. I mean, they were bad, but they weren't 45 games bad. The Orioles won 47 games. I mean, come on. Um, But again, I mean, I can't attest for what the Red Sox did last year. They went 108 games. They started the year at 17-2 or 17-1 or something like that. I mean, it was a historically good season for the Red Sox. All year round, the Yankees were in first place for a little bit in like May and June, but that was basically it, and the Red Sox just ran away with the entire division. So again, a lot of missed opportunities in Saturday and Sunday's game it was basically the same game. It was like an 18-inning game where the Yankees just left the bases loaded in like every inning. Uh, so they lose two out of three to the Orioles. I'm over it. It's fine. Whatever. They got to beat the Tigers. They got to beat the Tigers at home before they head to Baltimore. They better smack the Orioles at Camden Yards next weekend. So 
We talked a little bit about the series recap. John Sterling's home runs calls, which are phenomenal. Going to miss them when they're gone. Uh, James Paxton's start, which was phenomenal. First start of his Yankee career. Aaron Judge's captain-like mentality. Um, I want to get into a topic. Now, I don't know how relevant this is. Again, three games in, but again, last year, Yankees won 100 games. You can't really blame the guy. Aaron Boone. Uh, makes that pitching decision. Lance Lynn replaces Luis Severino in Game 3 of the ALDS. Everybody roasted him for that. Uh, but there's a little... Uh, Joe Girardi is in... Um, he's with the MLB Network. Turned down a deal with the Reds, I think, this offseason to become their manager. Um, I feel like there's still some people out there that would rather have Joe Girardi as the manager as opposed to Aaron Boone. Now, Aaron Boone was the guy who came in, beat out um, a few already existing coaches. Incl- well... Carlos Beltran was also in that race, may I remind you. Um, Hensley Mullins, um, bench coach or hitting coach for the uh, San Francisco Giants. He was rumored to be, become the next uh, manager for the Yankees. It was between Hensley Mullins and Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone ends up winning the race uh, because he basically checked off everything on the Yankees' checklist. It was basically going to do what Brian Cashman and Howell Steinbrenner said he was going to be their Mr. Analytics guy. Um, Player-friendly coach Joe Girardi turned out not to be that. That's why they went in a different direction. Joe Girardi leading the Yankees to within one game of the World Series in 2017. Now, he made that huge mistake call in uh, Game 2 of the ALDS in Cleveland, which led to a Francisco Lindor Grand Slam. It was a uh, foul tip into Gary Sanchez's glove that they called a hit-by-pitch, and he didn't even bother to review it. He could have reviewed it. He just didn't bother to. Like, the replay clearly showed it. Hit the nub of the bat, uh, trickled into Gary Sanchez's glove. Two pitches later, Lindor hits a grand slam. It was an 8-3 to game. That makes it 8-7 to in the fifth. Jay Bruce hits a game-tying home run in the eighth. Uh, Jan Gomes wins it in the 13th with a walk-off single. Again, one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched on television. But he bounced back. So Girardi, 10 years with the Yankees, gets axed for Aaron Boone, wins 100 games, great season. If it wasn't for the Red Sox season, that's a great season for the Yankees. They bring in Stanton. Um, but then they bats go silent at home in the playoffs um, against the Red Sox in Game 3 and Game 4. Aaron Boone gets blamed for the Game 3 uh, Lance Lynn disaster after replacing Severino, who was not getting any outs. But why go to Lance Lynn in that situation? I don't know. And given the 1-2 and two start after two losses against the Orioles, you're seeing a lot of the same mistakes that the Yankees made last year. Leaving runners on base. Pitching hasn't been phenomenal. You saw Paxton great start. Tanaka also pitched well. Uh, J.A. Happ. 75 pitches in four innings, gave up four runs. That was not a hap start. Uh, he got the loss. Again, not a hap start. He went 7-0 and in seven starts for the Yankees last regular season. Picked up that one loss in game one of the ALDS against Boston, but was stellar through the second half of the season last year. Did not have it today against the Orioles, who again are going to finish last in the East. No doubt about it. Blue Jays will probably be fourth, Rays third. Hopefully the Sox too. Hopefully, but I mean, do you? Th- I, I, here's here's what I think. G- Gary Sanchez. So Gary Sanchez in his first two years in the league hits twenty home runs in about like seven or eight weeks in twenty sixteen. Hits three hundred. Comes back the next year. Hits two ninety with uh, thirty five bombs. 
Now, he had some catching mistakes, but at the same time, Girardi sat him down, got in his grill, and he really picked up his defense. Now, Gary Sanchez did not like Joe Girardi, from what I hear, or he at least wasn't friendly with him, didn't consider him like a friendly coach, but Girardi got the job done. He brought out the best, he brought out the animal in Gary Sanchez, the Kraken. He released the Kraken. And then last year, arguably the worst, not arguably, it was the worst year of Gary Sanchez's career. Hit 182. He was injury riddled on the DL twice. Picked it up somewhat in the playoffs. Off to another rough start this year, though he did hit the home run today. Jack. Um, (laughs) But I feel like Aaron Boone, though he likes him, doesn't bring out the best in Gary Sanchez. That's where Girardi's old-school mentality plays better when it comes to the young guys like Gary Sanchez. Because Gary Sanchez is one of those guys who's not going to run out. He's kind of like Manny Machado. Won't run out of ground ball when it's hit. Now, again, that argument's going to be made over and over again. You'd rather play 160 games as opposed to running out a slow ground ball for nothing and getting hurt. It's whatever. But Gary Sanchez is a lazy player, and he proves it behind home play. He drops half the balls that are right down the middle. uh, And... A guy like Austin Romine, who doesn't see as many at-bats, had a phenomenal year last year. He was incredible for a backup catcher. And there were times in the playoffs last year that you would be comfortable putting him in if Gary Sanchez wasn't getting the job done offensively. So Gary Sanchez was a much better player to this point with Joe Girardi as his manager as opposed to Aaron Boone, which begs the question, if the Yankees don't win a World Series within these next two years, remember Aaron Boone is under contract for three years. Do you let Aaron Boone go if the Yankees don't get the job done? And A, do you bring back Joe Girardi, who had that success in 2017, won a World Series, led them to the playoffs in every year except three, and maybe try to recapture that magic they had in 2017? It's not that far-fetched. He's still available, still loves the Yankees. Call me crazy, but I don't think that's far-fetched. Now, the Yankees may very well win the World Series this year. By the end of it. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, like, if some way, somehow, they get to the playoffs and they choke again in the division series, come back next year and have another uh, late-season fiasco where they go home early, That that's not what Aaron Boone was brought in to do. Do you switch uh, the, the plan? Now, they said that they want an analytics guy. That's not Girardi. But at the same time... Like I said, Gary Sanchez, much better player when Girardi was on his ass. Aaron Boone, he doesn't have that with Gary Sanchez. They're buddies. And Gary Sanchez has not done the job since 2017. So that's just my take on it. I want to hear your take on it as well, though. So uh, here's the tick pick plug. Remember tick pick? Emphasize the T in tick pick. Don't want to screw that up. Tick pick, no hidden fees. Uh We're giving away two more free tickets. We gave away two free tickets to Saturday's game against the Orioles. Giving away two free tickets to uh, this week's series against the Tigers or next homestand, depending on when you guys can go. Um, I want A, the answer to this following trivia question, and B, the answer to whether or not would you prefer Aaron Boone over Joe Girardi or Joe Girardi over Aaron Boone. So give us B, uh, Girardi or Boone. Answer that, and then the trivia question today, you're going to have to research this one because I don't even know. How many games in 2008, in 2008, how many games did Richie Sexton play for the Yankees?
The fuck did you just say? How many games did Richie Sexton play first base for the New York Yankees? Remember, he was like 6'8", uh, played for the Mariners, D-backs, was a great, had like a weirdly great career offensively, came to the Yankees, did absolutely nothing. Uh, I don't even know how many games he played and looked that up to win two free tickets as well as the question before, Boone or Girardi? So that leads me into my next topic. I want to get into a little bit about Luke Voigt's weekend, about Luke Voigt's performance, because he had another, he had, I mean, there were big spots where he didn't come up clutch, but he did have that three-run home run first step out of the year, picked up an, another RBI in that game, and then picked up an RBI uh, in uh, the bottom of the ninth on Saturday. So he has five runs batted in this season. The clear favorite to be the first baseman instead of Greg Bird. Greg Bird, his days are numbered as soon as Hicks gets back. He's probably the one getting sent down. He did hit that home run on opening day. Does not excuse the fact that he went hitless or went contactless. He struck out in his first three at-bats, and then he went down 0-2 against the lefty in that uh, eighth inning in his fourth at-bat. was looking at a golden sombrero, but he's he was so highly touted back in 2015. Jumped the scene, had a great... August and September for the Yankees in 2015. Had a great postseason in 2017. Made you think he was going to come back next year and have another great year. Did absolutely nothing last year. Just a very disappointing outcome for Greg Bird. It looks like it's Luke Voigt's job going forward. Though Luke Voigt looks like he's the real deal. I don't know if it's too early. Had a great second half last year. Had a great six weeks last year. Hit 15 home runs. Had another great spring training. And off to a decent start so far in these first three games against Baltimore. So we'll see. I hope Luke Voigt is here to stay. Having Judge, Stan, and Voigt back-to-back-to-back is going to cause major problems for teams around the league, especially when you have to pitch to guys like Judge and Stanton so you don't have to face guys like Voigt. And at the same time, if you don't face guys like Judge and Stanton, you got to face Voigt, and Voigt's going to take you out of the yard every time. The guy's a behemoth. Um... Probably eats three steaks a day, medium rare, mashed potatoes, steamed broccoli, and of course that Jack Daniels on the side. Bartender Jack, three-run home run on opening day. Luke Voigt has to be the clear favorite to be the first baseman over Greg Bird. Now it'll be interesting to see what the Yankees can do with Greg Bird. So he'd go down to AAA, hopefully get some at-bats. If Luke Voigt doesn't pan out, you call him back up. He's a he's a solid option at first base, even though he doesn't hit that much. Uh, decent defender, even though I'll never forgive him for dropping that ball against that game against the White Sox last year in September. Right into his glove, he just missed it. I don't know how you do that at the major league level. It was exhausting to watch, exhausting to talk about. Uh, it shouldn't have happened. Greg Bird, though, get him some at-bats down in Scranton-Wilkes-Barre with the Rail Riders. If you can get something out of him, Put him in a package with maybe like Clint Frazier or something. Get a top-of-the-line pitcher. Who knows? Brett Gardner, uh, totally off-topic here, but Brett Gardner starting the year at 1-for-13. Again, I mentioned it before earlier on the show. I don't think he's going to get much playing time when Aaron Hicks gets back, meaning hopefully and hopefully um, Clint Frazier gets a shot some point this season, maybe with another injury, whether it's Hicks, Gardy, whatever. So when Hicks gets back, he'll, he'll be in center. Uh I'm assuming they'll keep Stanton in left, Judge in right. And hopefully, maybe over the course of the year, once Voigt becomes the official full-time first baseman, Stanton becomes the full-time DH again. You put Clint Frazier out and left, give him some at-bats. Because Clint Frazier could be 
a wild card on this team. I think he has phenomenal bat speed, legendary bat speed, some have said. Had a decent showing in the summer of 2017 when he first came up. Hit a home run and a double in his first two at-bats. Uh, hit that walk-off against the Brewers. Got to witness that one live at the stadium. I mean, he's a good player. He's just got to catch. He's just, wow. Let me try that again. This is this is live podcasting. There are no screw-ups. He is a phenomenal player if you give him the chance and if he catches his stride, whether it's in the Bronx or elsewhere, if you ship him out for a pitcher. So this was the series recap pod against the Orioles. Uh, comes out tomorrow and the day after, uh, Declan will return to the podcast. It's funny because I've had to do this show all by myself these past few episodes. I've had... I've been lucky to have a few guests on. We're going to have former Yankee Slade Heathcott. Uh, if you remember him, he had a big home run in 2015 in Tampa Bay against the Rays. He'll be on this show in the coming weeks. Um, he'll be on the Yankee portion of this podcast. We have a current NWA uh, world champion in uh, NWA wrestling, Nick Aldis, coming on the show pretty soon. Jack Slade from Fozzie. So we got a couple of guests lined up, uh, but again, Declan returns to the show. Thank God. I mean, he's supposed to be a co-host, has not been on this show in nearly two months. It's been way too long. We'll recap the entire weekend in the MLB, including Bryce Harper's monstrous weekend against the Braves and the Red Sox demise at the hands of the last place Seattle Mariners. So we got the series recap against the Orioles, did a couple of John Sterling impressions, which is always fun. Paxton with a phenomenal start. Aaron Judge with that captain-like mentality. Didn't think I'd see it um, after watching Jeter retire a few years ago. Luke Luke Voigt with a huge weekend as well. Greg Bird seems to be on his way out. And again, Girardi or Boone? Tell me, Joe Girardi or Aaron Boone, what's your preference? And how many games did Richie Sexton play in 2008 to win a pair of free tickets from TickPick? Remember, emphasize the T in TickPick or you'll get in trouble. And there are no hidden fees. And yeah, it's basically it. We're going to play you out here to the greatest theme song in the history of sports as well as to one of the greatest songs ever composed. And remember to go check out this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and TuneIn. And it's presented by Belly Up Sports. Be bold. Stand out. And of course, hit it, Hootie.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.